0: Another episode of Chinese Chippy Girl. I am your host, Georgie Ma, Ma Puyu. If you've listened to my shows before, welcome back. If you're new, a big massive welcome. I've put these shows together to talk about life growing up in the UK as a minority and talk about some of the common struggles we have being part of the Asia, aka East and Southeast Asian community. I bring guests on the show to share their experiences and today's guest, I invite my friend, who is 100% babe by the way, like all my guests, (laughs) Isabel. He talks to us about her current journey of raising her baby, multicultural, our thoughts on Filipinos working on the front line as healthcare workers in the UK and her side hustle, Hack Camp, a coaching programme that helps people of colour become leaders. I hope you're all okay. I've been shut off from Instagram as I decided to take a little detox. It's been bloody brilliant. I never knew how much I depended on Instagram and how distracting it was. I've been spending more precious moments with Moimoi and it's been so nice. I highly recommend anyone else to take a break if you feel you need to disconnect to reconnect. Anyway, on with the show.
1: I am very jealous now because I did think about putting on lipstick and I was like, I put on makeup already. Like that's way too extra. And now look, I'm so jealous of your red lips. Oh I no. I had- I've only just like, so basically all I've done is I've just put lipstick
0: on. I've done my eyebrows. I've put my hair in like, I don't know. I've got mum hair at the moment, but it's fine. But I wasn't looking like this at all. When was the last time we saw each other? You know what? I know when we last seen each other. We last saw each other. There was a Chinese New Year supper club. And yes. And that's the last time i seen you. And you had only just started dating Rob.
1: Yeah. And you know what? That was almost six years ago. Really? Was it six years ago? That's the last time i seen you. Gosh. I didn't yeah, realise it was that it was- long. I know. Time has gone by so quickly, right? So... I only know it's, it was six years ago because we were celebrating our one-year anniversary. We do this interesting thing with our anniversary, Georgia. I don't think I told you this. We actually had our first date on the first day of Chinese New Year. So Really? Yeah. So what we decided is, rather than trying to remember a specific date, that we'd always just <laughs> celebrate our anniversary on Chinese New Year. And that way, yes, it changes, but that way we'll never forget so when we're about, you know, 80, 90, you know, probably have Alzheimer's or something, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be easier to remember our anniversary. Oh, nice!
0: No kids. Not no. Neither, was a, neither of us. Neither of us had kids. We could have just like those days where you can just like leave the house, and then just leave your house with that, your wallet or your purse. Your keys and your phone. Now it's like trying to get out the door. It's just like a mission with Sadie. I know. How big is your mom's bag? My bag. Is that yeah, you saying? My mom bag. bag. My ma- oh, it's it's yeah. huge. And sometimes it's like it's still not even big enough. So like the bottom of her pram is just like it's just it's <laughs> yeah. chaos. It's like a it's like a bomb hit or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, no, completely agree. (laughs) Yeah. So how's how's life being a mom then? You know what? It's good. I think it's such a weird time. It is such a weird time to be a mom and a new one at that. Because I think I told you like on our chats and stuff, so I had Talia seven months ago now. So she's a lockdown baby. I was pregnant for most of lockdown or all of yeah most of lockdown so it's a weird time but it's good mm. learning along the way I have no I, I'm making it up as I go along <laughs> <laughs> the other day
0: when was it on I think it was either on Friday or Saturday morning between half three and six o'clock yeah. she woke up because she wanted to see the moon and the stars oh. and that morning, it was so cloudy. You couldn't see any oh, moon and you oh. couldn't see any stars. And do you know whose fault it mm-hmm. was? It was my fault. Yours. It's my fault because yeah. the moon and the stars went out. <laughs> I was Can trying you, to explain to her. her? <laughs> I was trying to explain to her, like, sometimes oh. it gets really cloudy and you can't see it, you know? And she's like, she's mm. like really kicking off. She's like, you know, throwing her head back and everything. I was just like, oh, yeah. And then it was just and you know when you just feel like <laughs> so tired you just it's just you can yeah. you, like like I can lose my patience as well and so can she and it's just it's so stressful.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. So that's what I have to look forward to. Thank you. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean to be fair like when
0: she is she's she, she started to get really obsessed with the moon and the stars and there's one time when we went for a cycle And we cycled along the Olympic Park because I live quite near there. I remember looked up and I've got an app on my phone called Skylight. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, the moon is like so, it's so bright, the moon. And it's like a really, really clear sky. And then I seen three little stars, like three. And I thought, okay, these have got to be. These have got to be planets because none of the other stars are out yet. Cause the planets, cause you'll see the planets first the yeah. stars. And I got my phone out. I looked at, shone them across those little, uh, these little dots. And then we saw Mars. We saw Jupiter. Oh. What is it? No, no, it's, it's Mars, Jupiter and the moon. And I was like, moi, moi, this is, that's, that's Jupiter. She's like, Jupiter. I'm like, that's oh. the moon. She goes, moon. And I was like, uh, that's Mars.
1: She goes, Mars. So that's quite cute. She's getting quite into that. That's a really nice memory that you're creating for her. Yeah. Know. I think so. Wait, so back up. What does moy moy mean
0: again? so moy moy means a little girl in Chinese. Yeah. So well,
1: in Filipino, we don't have, sorry, in Tagalog, we don't have the word, a word for daughter or son. It's just child.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's just oh. anak. Anak.
1: So I would call Talia anak. Ah, anak, okay. So how would you differentiate it's if it's con- a boy or a girl? By context, or if you say, I mean, I guess the long way of saying it would be like, you know, anak na babae, or like, you know, a female child, or anak na lalake, which is a male child.
0: Right, okay.
1: But you usually more by context. You would. I would never really go around saying something as long as that. So for the
0: listeners this is my good friend Isabel I used to work with Isabel at Just Giving am I allowed to say Just Giving am I allowed to say that I don't know Oh darling, yeah I can say that yeah so I I was really interested to bring Isabel on the show because obviously I've been following you Isabel your daughter oh my god when I saw pictures of Talia I was like oh my god I need to have a second child right now <laughs> so broody, oh, and oh she's so cute so beautiful so cute beautiful. so beautiful the main reason why I wanted to get you on the show Isabel is because I okay I'll start from, I'll start from the beginning when I launched my first episode of Chinese Chippica and also my Instagram page mm-hmm. it's more about growing up as a British born Chinese so BBC hand on heart it was quite siloed I just kind of focused on that one demographic that you know British born Chinese.
1: They're really important you brought Georgie I think it's really important that your your experiences and your stories you're bringing to the forefront I think that's amazing.
0: Yeah oh thank you but I think what I've learned throughout the months is Mm -hmm. I want to learn more about not just the British-born Chinese culture, but the Mm -hmm. Asia culture or the Asia community, so East and Southeast Asians. And I I feel I want to learn more about or to hear personal stories from other Asia community. Yeah. So with that, Isabel would you like to do an introduction of who you are and that question
1: where are you from Thanks. Oh, start with an easy question, then, right? Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Isabel. I have been living in London for the last eleven years, and I consider the Philippines home. Now, the reason why I was laughing at what Georgie was saying about, you know, where am I from? So you can probably tell from my accent, I was born in the U.S., but we moved around a lot growing up as a kid. I've lived in a few different places, but. Because my family is Filipino, it's probably the place I lived in the longest, with the exception of here in the UK. And also, I grew up very Filipino, where, wherever we were in the world. So I consider the Philippines home. Oh, do you miss it? <laughs> I do miss it. I, I think as I grow older, I... Okay. That's an interesting point. I think it's more of, I miss my family a lot. I miss my friends a lot. Do I miss the place? I think, I think I do, especially when it's cold, (laughs) especially (laughs) in days like this. I I go, what am I doing here? But I think I miss, I miss being in Asia and I miss, I miss my home. I miss the Philippines.
0: Yeah. So where's your, where's your family then that your, your parents, are they, are they here or are they back in Philippines?
1: So my mom um, is back in the Philippines and my dad and my brother are in the States.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Yeah. So you're all kind of dotted about. <laughs> yeah, we are. And that is how we grew up. I mean, you know, growing up, you know, because of my mom's job or my mom's career, we moved around um, quite a lot. And my dad would always, well, not always, would either work abroad, so like a different area from us or live with us. So we we're, all, we were quite used to being spread around the world.
0: Ah, oh, cool. I have a question that I have been burning to ask. <laughs> go on. <laughs> an easier person that is not Chinese. Okay, so I'm just going to go for it. Go. Do, okay, so it's basically two in one questions. Do people just assume you're Chinese? Like, do they say, oh, are you from China? Or are you from Hong Kong? And if so, how does that make you feel?
1: <laughs> I think the answer is yes of course like when I I think I was thinking about it and I think it happened surprisingly more here than anywhere else and In I the think, UK. and I'm trying to figure out yeah here in the UK sorry and I and I'm trying to figure out why that is and I think it's because when I first moved here I think people had less experience of other Asian Southeast Asian cultures and nationalities. And I think that's changing now. I think definitely when we were working together, that was still like the first thing people would ask me like, Oh, where is, where in China are your parents from? And I'm like, well, no way because I'm not Chinese. And I think it's definitely changing now, especially with just increased awareness of the diversity of Mm -hmm. the people here living okay but and how did it make me feel i think when i was quite young i think i used to just laugh it off um, but it always feel like a little like somewhere deep inside me i felt a little unsettled mm-hmm. and i realized it's because as i grew older i guess it would make me feel annoyed make me feel a little bit angry i think it was just because of the assumption that suddenly a big continent is just one you know just been branded with just one I guess nationality, yeah. um, China, <laughs> when we're much, yeah, which is, you know, we are more diverse than that. And there are so many mm. rich cultures. We really do not look the same. <laughs> no, definitely not. It's really funny, she say because I, I agree with you.
0: I think, you know, in the UK, it's becoming more diverse. I don't know if it's because I'm living in London, though. I wonder if, if I was living, say, in a different city or in a town. I wonder whether my point of view would change or would be different Mm -hmm. but I agree with you I think it is becoming a lot more diverse but equally I'm just going to contradict myself saying that though there's a lot of things where I think people Mm. just assume that we are all just like we're all the same I remember when I watched Great British Bake Off when they had the Japan Week that particular show was based was themed like Japan Week, and I remember the the first task mm-hmm. that the contestants had to do, they had to create a steamed bun. Now, already the steamed bun is is Chinese; it's not Japanese. I was about to say, yeah, because yeah. I think the steamed buns, I think, originated in China in the third century. But then there's all this lot of things that they kept on doing as well, like you know, I think one contestant added dal into their their recipe, um, another contestant very openly said that they were putting a Chinese filling in their in mm-hmm. their recipe, in their bun. Mm-hmm. And another contestant, they made these buns and into like an into a panda, created it into a panda yeah. panda bun. But again, yeah. pandas are Chinese and there's only like eight pandas in Japan. Um, yeah. and even those pandas are loaned from China. But I've always been yeah. just taking a step back, I've always been quite curious to know how other Asians would feel when they just get when they get asked where are you from. Because I personally when someone asks me where am I from, like deep down I'm just like, oh, here we go again. Is it accent or colour? Yeah. And then oh, and then it feels yes. like, am I gonna mm-hmm. have to explain to them, like give them a story about how my mom and dad came from China? And then am I gonna hear the, the things which they'll say, oh yeah, I went to I went to China in nineteen eighty six and I did this that and the other. I'm just like, do you know what I mean? And then the other part of me just feels like yeah. why are they so trying to dig into where I'm from? Because at the end of the day I'm actually British. I was born here. So the fact that they're asking yeah. me where am I from? No 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 where are you from? no 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 where are you from? just feels like I'm not validated to be from to be British. Um-
1: do you know no I, i do it's more like it depends on the context and what the intent is behind that question right so if it's like you know oh where are you from like where did you grow up then that's fine because they're just genuinely asking like you know where did you grow up where did you go from but when they start going oh but where are you really from yeah that's when you start going what is your intention behind that question what are, you, what are the assumptions that you're making about me just based on how I look or how I talk? And that's where it becomes problematic. I think it was a few years ago, right? I'm trying to remember. There was like a, I'm not doing it much justice, but there was like a skit about this. It was, it was set in the States, but it's very similar to what you just described where it was an Asian American speaking to someone and they just go, oh, where are you from? And she goes, well, I'm from I don't know California. I forgot the the whole script, sorry. And then the person goes, no, but where are you really from? And it's that it's that type of questioning that really makes you go, hang on, what what do you mean by that? And why are you asking it in that way? Do you not feel that I? Do, are you assuming that I just because I look Asian that I'm not from here? Wait, what are your intentions? So not completely understand i think i saw that
0: is it the one where she's the girl the the aging girl is running and then a white guy goes over to her and yeah. says where are you from yeah and then she 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 reverses it and then she says to him like where are you from he says oh i'm from england and then she just takes a mickey and says oh job fishing chips for your tea every night is it that one <laughs> yeah, i
1: think it's that way yeah, yeah it's was quite, a yeah.
0: Yeah, quite a few years ago yeah quite young yeah it's quite a while ago We'll say, but I
1: think yeah. that goes though like that not not much has changed since then.
0: No. No. It's and such a yeah, it's just such a weird question. It's it's a question which I don't like being asked, especially well, especially from someone who I don't know. And mm-hmm. it's just I don't know it, and I think it, it's it's never really made me feel that that comfortable and it's it's one of those questions where already like deep down I feel f- like in in my heart I just start feeling anxious um uh, sorry I feel bad mm. <laughs> because I did actually just ask you where are you from and now I'm saying oh yeah I feel really nervous about these questions but it's um <laughs> but it's just yeah it, it's so it, I think for me it's only really because I sometimes feel like I have to really justify why I'm British like, I, I remember there's times when I was like but I am British because I was
1: born in Macclesfield Hospital and I went to school here. Mm. And but what that's really interesting though. So why do you feel like you need to justify all of that to someone? Is it because of the just the question, or is it the follow-up questions, or is it their actions? I think just at that moment, because already
0: I don't like the I, I feel anxious about the question, like where no, no, but where are you really from? Where are your parents from? And then they'll be like, when did they come here? And I'm just like, Oh, I don't even mm. know you. I don't want to, I just don't want to, I just want to get away from the situation. So yeah. it's just quite, for me, it's just quite an uncomfortable, that's probably a better word. It's an uncomfortable situation to be in sometimes. I mean, it mm. to be fair, it depends. Like if it's like someone that, that's quite genuine and just wants to know like you know or if they just want to know where my accent's from then but it's only when i'm mm-hmm. like oh i'm from macrosville no no where are you from and it's just oh it's just like shut up follow up
1: <laughs> no, no no but you know what they're getting at yeah. and i think it makes a lot of us in the community uncomfortable because if the situation was reversed just like in that skit would we even be asking those questions would people be asking those questions of each other if they come from a particular background that's mm-hmm. not you know, they come from a more white background probably not no and i think that's probably that's really uncomfortable it's because we know that there's there's multiple layers to that question
0: hello i'm going to do that really annoying thing where i interrupt your ears I really hope you're enjoying the show if so please do subscribe on whatever pod platform you're listening to this on and if you're listening to this on apple Podcasts, please give me a five star review and uh, thank you so much to becca lamb and can't leave without nickname for their recent review it really brought a smile to my face you can also find me on instagram chinese chippy girl okay now let's get back to the show I want to talk about Tardia because I think she's so cute. Thank you. <laughs> she looks like a bow. don't you think? She looks like a bow. I've noticed that that's
1: what you call her on your yeah, Instagram. So, she's so cute. It's something that just stuck. So when Rob and I... Well, when I got pregnant, we knew her, you know, we knew her gender, but we, we had a couple names in mind, but we didn't want to jinx it. Like we didn't want to name her the name that we chose when she wasn't born. I feel like that's bad luck. Didn't want to jinx it. So we just said, well, she's a bow. We just started calling her a little bow and then it just stuck and then she came out and she actually ended up looking like a bow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you still call her bow now? Yeah, we do. I call her Talibau. Oh, Talibau. That's so cute. And here's another question.
0: What language do you speak to her in?
1: It depends. Well, if it's just me, I speak to her in Filipino. Mm hmm. If it's just the two of us, or if it's just me and my family, if it's me and my family, then it's a mixture of English and Filipino. Mm-hmm. And then with Rob, it's English mm-hmm. because I don't want him to feel out because he can't speak the language. So we are trying to, as much as possible, raise her to be bilingual mm-hmm. and hope bilingual. Oh my gosh, I sound like a tiger mom, don't I? But <laughs> there it is. Just-
0: because I wanted to. I wanted to discuss it because I'm on a mission to speak Cantonese to moi moi. My Cantonese is quite broken, but I, but I don't know. I I feel it's okay. I feel like if I, if I, you know, went to Hong Kong, I can get by. I can haggle with people in the markets. I can ask for directions. If people, if, you know, a local person in Hong Kong spoke to me in in Cantonese, I'll be able to, to talk back. You know, I would understand it. It's fine. So I'm on a massive mission to speak to in Cantonese, and it's really interesting what you're saying about when you're with Rob, you'll speak you'll speak English because when I'm with Ewan, I'll still speak Cantonese. But the thing is, I think Ewan bless him he's doing quite a good job with trying to keep up so all the all the words that Sadie's learning Ewan is learning as well so I would say to Moimoi which means where's your head and she'll do this and Ewan can say that too and he can say all that so you know so all the words that she's learning he's also learning it as well and okay. and I just want Sadie to really embrace in the the Chinese culture mm. so I'm trying my hardest to try to yeah. teach this to her and yes. the, o- on the flip side as well because Ewan is Scottish I'm trying to get him to teach mm-hmm. her more about the Scottish heritage as well so for example there's Burns Night at the end of at the end of January and traditionally you do like haggis and tatties so I've seen that there was haggis in Tesco so we've got some of those so we'll have that for dinner so I kind of want Ewan to teach her about that because obviously in England or in London you don't really get any of those Mm -hmm. it's up to myself and Ewan to teach her these things but I think it's really good how you're teaching Tala you know to be bilingual because I think now is like a good time for her to absorb it and to learn
1: it as well. No absolutely and I think you know it's really it was really important for me and Rob that Talia grows up with an appreciation and the love for all her all her cultures Mm -hmm. so Rob is half Chinese well Cantonese half British so we and I'm obviously Filipino so we're really trying to make sure that we are representing all of her her background in a really fair and equal way how that looks like we're just going (laughs) we're just kind of doing it as we go along but I'm personally really excited that she's going to have her first Chinese New Year soon With the Philippines, there's a lot, you know, I'm speaking to her in Tagalog, which is, or Filipino, which is my, which is the country's main language, but Mm -hmm. also my parents are from the Tagalog region. Could you Um, say that one more time? Sorry, because I heard you say it earlier. uh, Yeah. So it's Tagalog, T-A-G-A-L-O-G. Yeah. So it is the language that I don't know the proper term for it, but it's the language that everybody speaks in the Philippines. But we are we do have different languages and different dialects depending on what region or province you're from. So I can, you know, you'll if you ask most Filipinos, they'll probably speak they'll speak Tagalog, but then they'll also speak their language or their dialect or even multiple ones. Mm-hmm. But because my parents are from the region where Tagalog is from, I only speak Tagalog. Mm-hmm. Oh no, nice. so it's very similar to I would say me you know how Mandarin is like the 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 unifying language, but then every area has their own language and dialect or dialect yeah, absolutely.
0: I can't speak Mandarin, but I'm hoping that Sadie will learn it one day, but in the meantime, I'm just gonna speak to her in Cantonese. She is picking up a little bit though. And uh, my mum's always saying okay. to me, you should always speak Cantonese to her. Sometimes I feel like if I'm constantly speaking Cantonese to, to Sadie, to Moi Moi, then Ewan will be kind of missing out. So sometimes I can, I, I see myself just, just like, you know, taking, taking my foot off the gas a little bit and just speaking in English, just because sometimes it's just easier. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, but. Yeah. Keep going, Isabel, keep going with your uh, speaking, um, speaking for, oh, Tagalog, sorry, Tagalog, Tagala? Oh, yeah. Tagalog. Oh, Tagalog, Tagalog. The other thing one want to, speak to you about was, which I was quite interested in, is that since this pandemic, I've mm-hmm. I've been following... Actually, rewind back a little bit. I met with Alvin from End the Virus of Racism. He's just yes. such an inspiring person, and he's such a good ambassador, such a good voice for the ECA community. And yes. I remember reading his tweet on Instagram that there's been more Filipino frontline workers who've died working yeah. in, for an NHS than in Philippines itself and I think this was back in May or June or something when mm-hmm. I read that I was just like I don't understand what this means I don't know if i have just been really silly about it but I, I was thinking what do you mean so they're they're more at risk of dying is that because they've been ignored or is it because their bodies can't handle you know they don't have the antibodies and then I was doing like a little bit more research and this really yeah. this 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 bit actually really upset me so there's been a lot of Filipinos who come to work in the UK not just the Filipinos but you know other mm. east and southeast Asians and some of the workers have been from what I've been reading some of the workers have been bullied like they are more at risk to work as a frontline compared to their white counterparts and I was reading this um, article. There was a girl who, basically a diary of a, a Filipino nurse. She mm-hmm. didn't say what, I'm just saying she, it might even be a he, but the nurse mm-hmm. didn't identify them, said they wanted to become anonymous. But what they were mm-hmm basically saying was they moved to the uk because they thought great i'm going to go to the uk i'm going to be an nhs worker and i'm going to you know have a really Mm -hmm. good career really good life in the uk but the reality is Mm -hmm. they've come to work in a uk hospital the managers probably white i don't know just give them all the shit jobs and and it's just all the jobs where they are now more at risk of being in contact Mm -hmm. With someone with COVID and it's not even just that they haven't got the right the right PPE I think because I just wanted to learn more like why Filipino workers are more at risk of dying and that's that's basically why they've just been treated really unfairly and the other thing that I I noticed was the Filipinos are third most Represented nationality to work in healthcare in the UK healthcare, and I think there's about mm-hmm. just over 22,000 Filipinos in the UK working in front of, working as a healthcare worker. Just looking at some of the numbers, two percent of NHS workers are Filipinos. However, mm-hmm. from all the NHS workers who have died, twenty five percent of them are Filipinos, and that's just like, and there's been so much. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sorry, you were saying there's. Oh no, no, there's, yeah, there's
0: just been. I don't know. There's just been. There's been. There's been noise about this. There's been noise about it from the Easter community. That Alvin has really been posting so much stuff about this as well. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. been a lot of noise, a lot of tension for for the Easter community. But from the wider, the wider picture, you mm-hmm. know, the mainstream media, they haven't really
1: been focusing on that. I mean, even. No, there hasn't been much focus on, you know, the fact that people who work in the NHS who tend to succumb, you know, who are dying because of COVID in the front lines tend to be from the BAM community. That in itself hasn't been really publicized as much as I think it should be. But absolutely, there has been very little in the mainstream media about how Filipinos have been one of the most affected by, by covid in the NHS or in the front line here in the UK. There's a couple of there's many reasons why I think that is I'm no expert by the way, but if I understand my history or my UK history correctly, there have been there has been a massive increase in the number of Filipino nurses coming in the UK since the late 90s. That's I mean Filipinos have been coming to to migrate here into the UK, you know, for years, but it really was in the last in the late nineties where there was a big wave of Filipino nurses coming to the UK. And that was because I don't necessarily know all the specifics, but from what I understand is they just had to do almost like a foundation course and then they would be able to practice fully as a as a nurse, whereas some other countries would require them to study all over again if that makes any sense. So, you know, over the years, there have just been more and more Filipinos coming to live in the UK as nurses. And you're right, I think I saw a figure between, yeah, 20, I saw 40, but it could be between 20 and 40,000 nurses working in the NHS. And there's now about a quarter of a million UK Filipinos here in the UK. So we're a growing community. And I'm just trying to, I was also, when we talked about different topics that we could, we could speak about today, this is the one that hits home. And I think it hits home for a number of reasons. I think it's that if we address the the fact that there are more Filipino frontliners dying than any other nationality, I was reading some things from, for example, like the Filipino Nurses Association, and they've kind of highlighted several reasons. You know, the first is that for some reason, they are the ones who are put in the more high-risk situations, high-risk situations than any other, I guess, ethnic group. A majority of these nurses are here on the visa. There's a lot, there's whether... It could be that their managers feel like they can tell them to put themselves more at risk because they're here on a temporary basis. Or if the workers themselves feel like they can't refuse because they're on a here on a temporary basis, that could be another reason. But I think, you know, there's multiple reasons, but I think it boils down to the fact that there is a power imbalance
0: Mm.
1: within, there's a power imbalance at play. And it's not necessarily one that's talked about.
0: I was really shocked to to read about this I also think okay so I'm just going to compare this to like an office worker so because what Mm -hmm. you're saying is some of the the Filipino nurses are are on a visa if I can bring this back to say I'd say a normal a normal a nine-to-five job it's kind of like a temp staff or contractor and I've been in I've been in companies where the temp staff and the contract staff, they'll just be treated like, like crap. And they'll get all like, nobody really wants to get to know them because they'll know that they're already here for like one week, one month, six months, whatever. They didn't get respected. Mm. They just get all the crap jobs. And the other thing is as well, I spoke to my mum about this. My mum was saying maybe when they've been given those tasks, they maybe because english might not be their first language they probably don't know how to challenge back say oh that's not fair that should be that's not my job and then just it just just the easiest thing to do is just to do it and it's really interesting because it because when my mom was telling me about this she was telling me sorry i'm not trying to digress the conversation to anything else but she was telling me like one of the reasons why she didn't really encourage us, us to speak when we were kids it's because they didn't know how to to speak up like they didn't know the English language and maybe from a Filipino or from Indonesian or from you know from a non-British speaking person that's probably
1: why they've just done it and i think your mom has a point around being unable to challenge i'm not necessarily sure if it's because of a language barrier so really really rough history of the philippines we were colonized by spain for a few hundred years and then we were part of the american commonwealth up until the end of world war 2 so we actually english is the business language of the philippines so i wouldn't necessarily say while well, no one not everybody speaks perfect english mm-hmm. or is 100% fluent i think especially for the ones that do come here they will have a good grasp of the english language i don't necessarily think it's a language barrier but i think the inability to challenge mm-hmm. for a number of different reasons is definitely a big factor and then that comes from a diff- you know from a variety of reasons whether it's people's preconceived notions of what the quote unquote Filipino worker is like, or because, you know, individuals feel that they can't challenge because their, their status in the UK might be compromised. I don't know if you came across this in your research, Georgie, but, you know, a lot of Filipinos who come here are not just supporting their immediate family, it's their entire family. Mm -hmm. So not just their husband. Or their wives, or their kids. It's their brothers, their sisters, their cousins, their parents. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people depending on them. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily something that a lot of people here in the UK realize that they're sustaining. You know, their heroes in so many ways. Not just because they're in the front line, but because they're trying to support the pe- people that they love back home.
0: Mm. So, what you're saying about the the workers, the, the Filipino workers working in the UK, yeah. I think it's quite, can I say common in Asia? So when Eastern Southeast Asian comes to the UK to work, it's not, mm. it's not just for them, it's for the entire family. And I remember yeah. when I used to go to Hong Kong as a kid. Mm. I used to go, but my mum and dad used to take us quite, you know, quite a few times. And I remember on a Sunday, I used to see Loads of Filipinos just hanging out. Mm-hmm. What they would do is they would just get some cardboard boxes, they'd flatten them, and they'd have like all this that like really nice food. And it's just really, you know, like it wasn't like a glamorous setup or anything. It was just kind of like sitting on the street or you know, in a bridge, on a bridge or a pathway or a walkway. I'd walk past them, and then after a while, you kind mm-hmm. of like may I make eye contact, then you start speaking to them. Yeah. And, and I remember like, you know, towards the end of a holiday, my mum and dad and I, and you know, my brother and my sister, we, we ended up speaking to them families and they were saying, they were basically, they were just telling the story like, they're all here, they all moved here, they work, it's not, it's it's more than a job, they, they get up and they don't stop working until they go to sleep so if they're looking after say an old person or they're looking after you know some children it's literally nonstop. and it's not just that they cook food for them they wash them when the the owners like the parents when they come back they have to cook food for them and then have to do all the food shop it's all like you know domestic workers And, and I remember like questioning at the time like why do you do it because it it just feels like such hard work why do you do it and they were like we've got families at home not just one person not just two we've got a whole family at home that we need to support so we're doing this to support them back home because it's for them it's well paid Mm -hmm. even like the last time I went back to Hong Kong Mm -hmm. I I took you in it. You was the same. He's like, who are all these people just sitting here? But they're just they're, But they're just so happy. They're just like singing, and you know they've got the music on and they've got all this nice food. I'm you because obviously me and you and I are like really big eaters. And we're walking past them and they've got all their little Tupperwares with all their food. Oh, it's amazing! Yeah. It smells amazing. They get one day off, so their day off is yeah. on the Sunday.
1: And oh, this one they all meet up, right? Yeah. But I was still uh, doing um, a, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think, you know, you've captured exactly that. It's, you know, I don't think, so growing up, of course, I've heard about the domestic workers and how much they've sacrificed to to support their family. And I don't think I really understood what that meant until I became a mom myself. Because I, can you imagine raising someone else's kid to support your kid back home, but you're not actually there to see all those milestones. Can you imagine Mm -hmm. like living abroad and then support Sadie and then raising someone else's kids, but not being able to see your kids grow up? I I, I can't imagine that. I know. I, I think it's, you know, I always understood it, but I think I understood it deeply now that I'm a mother you know, it's just, it's incredible what those women are doing.
0: It's Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's, it, they're just really underestimate. Is it underestimated? Is that the right word? Underestimated how much work that they do. And my my brother-in-law, his mum lived in Hong Kong and mm-hmm. he had uh, a Filipino worker as well. I think she's Filipino. Basically in, in Cantonese, you call them banmoy and it's basically, it means it domestic worker. And when my brother-in-law's mum, who had the ban moi, when she was off on a Sunday, they would need two members of the family to come into the house to do the work. That's two people. They would need, it would need two people to lift my brother-in-law's mum into the bath. It would take two people to bath her. It would take two people to get her out. It would take two people to do this, two people to do that. But and then that's just on one day. But imagine the worker that they had, who's a, a young girl. She's doing mm. it all on her own, and it's not just that she's looking after her. She's doing all the all the all the washing, all the laundry, yeah. going out to the shops, carrying all the stuff, and taking her to the toilet
1: and taking yeah. her for dim sum. It's you know, it's it's hard, and that's just one. That's just one of the many things that that woman was doing. Yeah, I don't, I think they're do like they're people really underestimate and und underappreciate like what they do. Do
0: yeah. you think you would ever move back to Asia? We'd
1: love to yeah when you we were talking earlier about like how do we raise our daughter to appreciate all their cultures it's it's hard right like you have to have a balance of you know making sure that she understands like the language the different types of food the history you know all the things that we consider important but it's also about values
0: mm-hmm.
1: so how do you incorporate you know the values that you grew up as a as a kid and that you adopt as your own values. How do you teach that to your child who's growing up in a multicultural household? Yeah. I think, and we were thinking about how, yeah, living in Asia would really bring back those, those, you know, really bring those values home, but also it helps her have a more worldly perspective and just have a different view on thing on, you know, view on things and view in the world. So we'd like to, but we'll see. You just never know what life, bring, where life brings you. Do you? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I would hundred percent move to Hong
1: Kong. Do you still have family there?
0: Yeah, I've still got some family there. It holds a really special place in my heart. I am so desperate to take Sadie to Hong Kong. Just stepping out. Okay, there's a few things which why I want to do this. Why I want to move to Hong Kong. I yeah. want to walk out the door. Yeah. And Uh I don't, I don't want to be a minority. I want to walk out the door and I look like everybody else and I don't have to worry about, you know, just racism or microaggressions and stuff. The second reason why I want to move to Hong Kong is the food. Oh my God. (laughs) Like the food is just amazing. The third reason why I want to move to Hong Kong is I want Sadie to embrace in the culture. So what you were saying before about the values, I want her to see for herself what the Mm. Chinese culture is like. And it's really weird because when I was growing up, I had like an identity crisis. I hated being Chinese, Isabel. I hated it. I hated being Chinese. I hated having dark hair. Mm -hmm. I hated having, you know, like a flat nose. I hated speaking Chinese. My mum and dad speaking Cantonese to me. I was so embarrassed. I feel ashamed that I felt like that. But I really want Sadie to really embrace Chinese culture. But for me, there's Mm -hmm. only so much I can teach her because the environment that we are living in, at the moment, is uh, we're living we're in a white community. We're living in the UK. We are a
1: minority, and she's mixed race. It's truly more for her, right? And that's the same for me. I just want to be able to give Talia like a a bigger view on the world than just living here in London, which is obviously fantastic and great. But it's just offering her a different viewpoint, and I think that's the kind of lessons that that really helped shape like at least me personally shape my my own viewpoint and help me shape my own values Mm -hmm. so I want to be able to give her that opportunity to do that
0: yeah I've got a question Isabel since Mm. you've become a mum, how much has that changed you and how much has that changed your your priorities in your life
1: oh my goodness I think it has completely changed I think You know, I'm still coming not coming to terms, but I'm still getting used to the fact that I am a mom. I think everybody, you know, I think what nobody talks about is how much your identity changes when you become a mom. I think I was really prepared with this is what to expect when you're giving birth, or this is, you know, how to change a diaper how to feed a baby, you know. I was quite prepared for that, but I didn't necessarily prepare for the emotional changes, but also the fact that my identity, which is very much, you know, very much around me, my career, my future has changed completely now to what can I do to make sure that Talia has the best life I can give her. And that's completely different. I was very much thinking about myself, whereas now I'm thinking about others, sorry about my daughter, and that's a very different mindset. So no, it's completely changed the way I view things, the way that I plan for the future, everything. What about you?
0: There's goods and bads. I've planning for the future because of just recent because of the pandemic and the hate crime that has occurred on mm. East and Southeast Asians, it's made me quite anxious yeah. about her future. And Mm. I've spoken about this in my previous pods as well, where the main reason why I'm doing uh, these episodes and um, Mm. putting out content on my Chinese Chippy Girl page is because I'm learning how to speak up because I want her to see that I am speaking up so she can do it too. But so it's so yes, it's changed me in in that way, but it's but in some parts it's changed me like it's 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 made me be. Uh, more organized <laughs> because I just have to be I just I just have to be and small things like p- pre-planning all my meals because what I eat is what she eats as well you're going to come to that soon as yeah. well the main thing is I want to be a good role model for her and that's what's mm. changed that's a big part that's changed me so it's it's not about okay what do I want for myself it's kind of like, okay, what can I exactly. do to her? What can I do so when yeah. she's growing up, she'll be like, Oh yeah, my mum did this, so I'm gonna do it too. Or my mum taught me this. So yeah, it's such a big thing. But it's yeah. amazing though. I just oh I just mm-hmm. love being a mum. Apart from that time when she was like kicking off and screaming at me for not not moving the clouds out <laughs> the way so she could see the moon and the stars. <laughs> No, 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 no. I really want to speak to you about your project, Hack <gasps> Camp. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Is that what you're doing full time? Is it a side hustle? Is it? And it's by the
1: cool. way, can I just
0: say, some, your, uh, Samira, Samara, her, oh, she is gorgeous. Like she's
1: her hair. A babe. Oh,
0: she's such a babe.
1: Such she a is. babe um she 's going to be so pleased I said that <laughs> <laughs> um so hackamp is a side hustle for both of us, so she is a she 's a producer as her as her main career and i 'm working in partnerships again, so we both have our day jobs. So a backstory to Hack Camp is we have been friends for a while. So we met doing a community event together back in 2014. And in 2019, we just we just had dinner, just normal. Remember that? Going to restaurants. Feels like a lifetime ago. Anyway, we were doing that thing before we couldn't do it anymore. And we were both just talking about how coaching has really made an impact on, on our professional careers and our personal development. And then we also noticed that actually, as much as, you know, we believe in coaching and the benefits, because for me personally, it really helped with my my confidence as a leader and as a senior leader in organizations and just my overall confidence. But what we noticed was there is a lack of diversity in coaching, both in terms of who are coaches and for, as well as people who reach out to have coaches. And we realized that's something that we want to change. So we created Hackham because we wanted to address the lack of diversity in terms of coaches and also who have access to coaching. So we, Samir's almost done completing her qualification. I recently qualified just this last summer. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So we were actually, even though we started in 2019, we were quiet about it until until last year. And that's because of the pandemic. So we, you know, when lockdown happened in particular, and people were being furloughed, people were being made redundant, I think we started seeing that there was a big need for coaches, whether it was for people who were trying to address Like a better work life balance, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, it was your first time working from home. It's so easy to just wake up, roll over, start work, and then maybe stop working at 10. So people were having, you know, issues with work life balance. There were people who were being furloughed and weren't necessarily sure if they wanted to stay in the job that they were in or try something new. And also, there are a lot of people who are managing significant change on top of you know, a global pandemic. So that's when we really started to promote camp more and more. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are now. Amazing. I think the one that we personally both really like is supporting people with like how to identify and live by their purpose and their values. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we both really are passionate about because Okay, oh, I can't speak for Samir, but for me, I think I've been very lucky that I knew from a not a young age, but for a while that my like my purpose in my life is to make a positive impact in the community. And that's why I ended up at just giving, for example. And that's why I've always been in, you know, that's why I've always kind of tended to work for social enterprises, mm-hmm. tech for good, the public sector, that kind of thing. And of course, from that purpose. You identify your different values, and I mm-hmm. think um, just wanted to be able to help others achieve. Uh, you know, help others find their own. I not find their own values. I think people always have known them, but to articulate them better for themselves. So yeah, no, it's been a really, it's a really interesting. I didn't expect to start a business. I didn't expect ever. Um, I didn't think I had it in me, but I really enjoy coaching because I really like working with people. And and yeah, empowering them. So with coaching, I feel like people obviously have like different approaches and different skills so or different strengths. So with me, like my coaching style is very much about like per, it's very person-centered. So, and I also tend to not challenge in, in terms of like being like, you need to do this, you need to do that. It's more like asking really difficult questions sometimes. So I guess what I'm trying, this is a very long-winded way of me saying you have to be able to trust the person and that you have to also like their style because you're trusting them with really big stuff that you're working on. And even though they're not, you know, us coaches, we're not psychologists or therapists. We're still dealing with like your emotions and your aspirations and your hopes and dreams. Like that's Mm. very personal stuff. So it has to be someone that you get along with Mm. and someone that you trust. Mm. If anyone wants to contact
0: you, how can they contact you?
1: Yeah, they can just shoot us a message on our Instagram. So it's Mm hack.camp or shoot us an email at hello at hackcamp.co.uk.
0: Perfect. Well, listen, I will love you and leave you. Thank you so much for your time. It's been so, it's been so lovely to hear from your perspective, from a, you know, from a Filipinos perspective. And yeah, I just think, yeah. it's been really good to chat with you and uh, listen I'll let you go so you can uh, go and see Talia
1: you know what though one thing I will say maybe this is not for the podcast or maybe it can be but it's up to you but I think it's my experience is very different to a Filipino British individual if that makes sense Mm -hmm. because I'm still you know so I recently became a British citizen yay (gasps) yay which is great but it's very different to someone who's actually grew up here I'm very I would be really curious it'd be interesting maybe for you to to see that different perspective I don't think it's going to change too
0: much to be honest with you I think it will still I think the perspective is is good because I'm hearing it from a What's the right word? The Filipino diaspora. You've traveled a lot. You know, you're now living in the UK. I think your story is so is so personal and it's, it's unique as well. And I think it's just good to hear more of it. Just good to chat to you. I know. It's, it's been, been so good. long. It's been, I know, it's been so long. When we all get vaccinated, we can all go for dim sum and have a play date with Sadie and Talia. Yes. Yes,
1: please. I would love that. I would love that.
0: Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye, Isabel. Bye. Oh Isabel thank you so much for coming on to the show. I forgot to mention at the time that I had no idea that English language was so widely spoken in Philippines. That is definitely something I have learned. I hope you all enjoyed the show. We are still in a pandemic and sadly over 100,000 people have lost their lives in the UK so please stay safe keep your distance and wear a mask. See you soon now.